Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm here with Toka Nygaard, Chief Creative Officer at Zendesk. Toka is someone that I've been following personally since about 1997 or 1998 when I was in design school, and I learned something a little bit about web design. And I remember spending countless hours and days looking through the work that uh, he and his partners were putting on cool sites like K10K and News Today. He's now uh, Chief Creative Officer at Zendesk. He's got a wildly exciting background. I'm super excited to have him here today. This has taken a while to get this uh, scheduled, so I hope you'll enjoy the show. Toka, why don't you uh, take a moment to just uh, say a little something or as much as you want about who you are and and uh, what you do and uh, what you're focused on today. Sure. Firstly, thanks for having me, Anthony and Anthony. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Toka. I uh, work at Zendesk as the chief creative officer. That means I'm heading up a creative team of 150 people around thereabouts, um, building um, B2B software in the sort of customer uh, service space. I've had uh, an interesting road to get to where I am today through... Um, I started my career back in Denmark. I went to design school. I dropped out of school to pursue a career at my first gig that I had, which was an internet startup uh, in the early days of the dot-com boom. From there, I had sort of an opportunity to go to London and start uh, or help start a, a subdivision of an American um, uh, internet design company. And then from there, my, uh, my path uh, ended up in San Francisco where I uh, co-created Cuban Council, which is a small design shop that I ran with Michael Schmidt and Mike Buzzard and Pierre uh, for 10 years. And in between all of that, I um, did K10K or Caliber 10,000 on the side, which was uh, meant to be like a you know, a, a hangout for cool creative types that were wildly uh, into, you know, pushing uh, the new medium uh, of internet design and anything that had to do with interaction and uh, interactive uh, experimentation. And that forum got, you know, quite popular and it kind of gave me sort of a, a good starting point to to start our own business and get some good clients in. It was really quite fascinating for me at the time. I had no, you know, I was in design school and I, at the time, I had no interest in really doing anything that involved technical skills. But when I saw some of the stuff that people were putting on K10K and Design is Kinky and all that, it really, like, I feel like my mind exploded with the, this amount of possibilities that could happen when you combine, you know, art and graphic design and technology. It was very powerful yeah. for me. I was also in design school when, you know, when the whole thing started out and I thought it would be awesome to build some kind of platform for our own work because we were just experimenting with all sorts of things like creating typefaces and doing, uh, you know, sound design and typography and all that kind of stuff, animation and video. So we've, in the beginning, I felt like K10K was meant to be a platform for our own work, but we quickly found out that you know, it's much more interesting to just sit in the center of all this stuff and and be part of this growing community of people like you and tons of other people who are just doing wild shit. It was a really fascinating time. Can you describe your evolution as, as a designer? Like, you know, what you were interested in studying and you know, your development and, and skills or identification as a, 
type of designer over time leading to where you are now as a chief creative officer? Sure. Way, way, way in the beginning, I think like many other f people from that same generation, you know, I was deeply into Amiga and Commodore 64 and that demo scene or like the excitement mm -hmm. of getting just a little bit of animation going on your screen was amazing. And at some point you were able to, you know, key in video with your pixel graphics. And it was just wildly fascinating that I was, I was in control, right? It was, it was a, it was an amazing experience. And so from there, I was always into kind of mm -hmm. uh, building things and wanted to master all these different things, like doing a little radio station when I was little or uh, doing my own mixtapes and start scratching and making hip-hop beats or whatever. <laughs> and um, I think at some point I had to kind of make a decision, take a decision to where I wanted, what I wanted to do, like in my 20s. And... I'd met up with a fantasy illustrator, Jesper, my friend in Copenhagen, who was on the cusp of, you know, he was doing big things with fantasy illustration and of all things. So he was getting into Dungeons and Dragons and they were trying, you know, he was trying to get a gig with, with the, with sort of the big names in fantasy. And so I sat with him doing watercolors and doing sort of also kind of, I was also doing a little bit like fantasy stuff but I was never really deeply into it like he is. And he's still doing it right now. He's doing, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's done some of the greatest uh, <laughs> fantasy stuff. But I, at some point I just had to ask myself, am I into, into wizards and, and, and goblins? And, and I just wasn't. So I was into uh, stuff like Tomato in London and Underworld and, you know, all these kind of, uh, what's his name, Vaughn all these people who did the cool uh, CD covers and mm. uh, experimental stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I wanted to get into school for visual design. And at the time there was no school for, for the sort of a digital media. The, mm. We have a very sort of high end or very sort of respected design uh, uh, school system in Denmark, but it's mostly around ceramics and sort of, uh, furniture and that kind of stuff mm -hmm, and I was mm -hmm. you know and and they had a really really sort of also highly respected illustration line so I wanted to do that but as I applied they were going to you know do a, a sort of a, a demo of a you know multimedia uh, uh, line that you could follow um, for education for like a five-year full university uh, education so I decided that was probably where the money was going to be so I decided to go <laughs> for that but the experience was actually awful. Like it was an awful experience. There was a terrible, you know, terrible teachers, terrible curriculum. Some of the classes were about like how to read an email, or, you know, like everything <laughs> was printed out on foam boards and it was so terrible. Oh man. And, and I, I'm, I, you know, I don't even know if this is kosher to talk about, but a lot of the teachers were kind of, you know, alcoholics and there's sort of like a certain weird vibe that I just never got really into. So at some point I got a job offer and I took a sabbatical and I just never returned to school. So I never got my degree anyway. But what that school experience did do was to offer me um, some, you know, time with all sorts of different media you know yeah i've really spent a lot of time doing like claymation uh mm -hmm. weird kind of poster design uh lots of photography stuff i really got to dabble was, in do, do you feel like yeah. do you feel like it was a time for you to just 
kind of have the the freedom to explore yeah i don't think i th- I think that's great i think that's the one thing that 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 schooling is great for at least it sort of cows calves out a safe space for you to kind of just go nuts but also you kind of pushed really pushed to to uh to be creative and 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 and, exp- and explore what you can do in all these different media at least i had that experience yeah it's kind of interesting though that like the nature of danish design as you're saying is very to some extent formal like you're saying with ceramics and furniture and whatnot yeah. because there's hi- there's history there right there's there's principle there right. but if you're saying that this new endeavor the multimedia track it's kind of like seems sounds like the wild west so you might have like like by chance fell into a more explorative avenue than if you would have gone yeah. through design towards the the, the traditional uh, furniture ceramics uh, kind of thing. So that's really interesting, right? Um, yes, and it, it was interesting because a lot of the teachers were kind of they came from a more traditional um, background, so they were doing like they were actual illustrators or they were actually kind of painters or. Uh, typographers and photographers and or fashion designers and fabric designers so um, they had a very sort of old-fashioned view on how things should be done and it was just impossible mm-hmm, to work mm-hmm. that way with the stuff that we were doing mm-hmm. and so we had some really great people to come and hang with us we had nick roop and tom roop from tomato which was back then the hot hottest shit it was all like <laughs> facts generated artwork that was like they were doing the most insane things with director and you know like uh, exploratory with sound loops and all this kind of amazing stuff and filming in super eight and and everyone was just like so into it and we went to london to visit the studio and they had underworld there and they were recording some stuff or video and it was just like it was just so insane like we were just like blown away and we were just running around the studio trying to kind of dig into the garbage so we can get a little bit of those film strips that they were using so we could scan it and do cool shit or we took (laughs) all the that code they were like sharing all the code that we were using to to create all these experiences so we just like ripped it completely and just did our own stuff with it and try to kind of reconstruct things so that was that was a really interesting time and i I still have relationships with some of these people to this day. I got a job out of that. So I can't say that my school time was entirely wasted. It takes time for anyone to, for people to decide what they want to do anyway, especially when you're in a kind of a frontier land, right? Like students now going to design school have a little bit clear ideas or where they could go into art direction or they could go into sound design or digital product design or service design. But back in those days that it wasn't as clear. I think, you know. Right. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, like you were saying, it's the Wild West. Also, I have r- no real idea where this was going. Like, all we had mm-hmm. to kind of reference was mm-hmm. um, some sort of interaction work on CD-ROMs or um, a lot of us were still thinking we were going to be doing CD covers or book covers <laughs> or any of that kind of work. So it was just like, it was crazy. And then, then the internet started taking off and... and we, you know, it's clear that there was going to be a market for designing these websites that were still terrible. Even by the standards back then, I thought it was terrible. You know, we were looking at this, but we were not blown away by the, by, by any of the stuff that was coming out, which was one of the reasons why we created KTNK, because we knew that a lot of people like us were experimenting with all sorts of wild stuff, 
but there was no real place to put it or, or, or consume it. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you kind of think about those days when all of these like websites or experimental websites were maybe more on the spectrum of experimental art, and then you have the, the web design industry really coming in and booming. And now, now, you know, there's careers and web design and you're right in the middle of this, like, and eventually end up deciding to start an agency to do websites for, you know, as a profession. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole lot of steps in, in between, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like what led you to decide, okay, I'm definitely kind of going in this direction and starting an agency was the, the way to go. So I formed a really close friendship with Michael Schmidt that I partnered with on, on K10K. Um, and so we built that together and we were maintaining it. And um, we worked really hard on designing it and building it out and forming all these relationships and doing cool stuff. And plus we participated in a lot of other kind of other digital projects that were, you know, the... Uh, I don't remember any of the names of any of these things, but you know, like the whatever project, yeah. there was always something. And, you know, we were building experimental software, like we built mood stats, we did all sorts of things. So I thought this was like, he, he was, you know, I still to this day believe that it, it is the beauty is in who you work with, like who are you partnering with? And this is the mm-hmm. same we try to do mm-hmm. at Zendesk and get the people in we want to hang out and spend our lives with. Um, mm-hmm. So I just I felt like it was a very very valuable friendship to have because he was a great guy, but also he could make my stuff come to life. He was really good at doing back end stuff and front end work, and we worked really well together. We also had some terrible fights, but I just valued what what he could bring to the table. So I, I when he found, he got a um, he was like a early days uh, um, online dating. I found a girl in San Francisco and decided to move there for her. And oh, wow. that was when we were both in London. And um, I was working at Wallpaper Magazine at that time because everyone had been laid off from all the tech jobs. And my my gig was a bit like I was a webmaster or something. Like, that's not what I was born to do. <laughs> so I felt um, compelled to follow him to San Francisco. I had, t- had taken a few trips with my company back then called Oven. And so I... I thought that that that's obviously where all the cool stuff was gonna was gonna take off, and so I decided to just uproot and 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 move there as well. So we started just freelancing together uh, because we we yeah we we met a third guy, Mike Buzzard, and he was like really well connected. So we got some some work in and just started mm-hmm. sitting then we found a space where we can sit and work and slowly we got one employee and then another one and then we just uh, decided it was time that it was an actual business i don't know if you know this or not but buzzard and i are pretty good friends but oh, yeah i'm also curious if you know mark armandaris or if you remember christian roca christian i remember yeah yeah it's gonna like uh, i remember <laughs> cuban council because when i was kind of working for a, I worked for a boutique called behavior. And so yeah. we were, we were always looking at the, well, what is Cuban council doing? You know, when you, you were always like top, top of the, of the list in the studios back in those days, was it difficult for you to make the decision to leave the agency world and, and go in house or is, did that feel, feel like a natural progression? 
So you mean from going from Cuban to Zendesk? Yeah. So yeah, that was a really tough decision because we were actually doing really well. We gone, we weathered a lot of the, you know, like financial crises. We've gotten some really, really interesting work in. But one thing that I found was that you, st I was starting to get fatigued by the endless cycles, you know, like you mm -hmm. go pitch work, you lose or win the work, then you bunk, you know, you hunker down, then you go into kind of research mode and really put, wrap your head around this client and their needs and their world and their thing. Mm -hmm. And then you start and it's just relentless and you're just working your ass off and it's, you know, that you're just pressing everyone to the limit and then you do all the, you know, the whole spiel, right? And it's the cycle. And then once you release it, you release your work and it, you never hear from them again, you know? <laughs> you, you never even know what you, if, like what you did had any, you know, meaningful impact. At least we were too small to kind of be able to follow up and, and build these kind of mega long relationships. I mean, that's not true. We did have some relationships with Google and others. But you know, for, for a lot of this work, there was just no follow up and there was no tinkering and tweaking and optimizing or even just realizing it was crap. So the kind mm. of the learning, the learning just stopped there. And then what all I learned was just to pitch and sell and build a thing and everything back then was like highly handmade you know like the, every little button was custom made to that website and it was so much work so after a while going through these cycles i just decided like what a wonderful world it would be if i just sat and had one thing to do and just kept optimizing it and making it better growing it mm -hmm. and testing it and you know like living with it that was to a certain degree we did that with our own brand with the Cuban Council brand that's what I really loved about the company it was just kind of shaping this weird world that you inhabit and people believe in it you know but it's you know it was exhausting with the client work I'm sure you have some of the same the same kind of learnings I, I can relate to that from previous agency mm -hmm. experience uh, the, that's the one of the things we were trying to do differently with fund size I mean most of our relationships are one, two, or three years and yeah. counting where we can, we, we have the proper amount of time and time to understand the business and what moves the needle and to really make uh, a little bit more involved in taking responsibility for design decisions and being able to work closely enough with like product and engineering to see these things through and over time. But yes, it's, it's still not the same as being in-house. Some of the people that I worked with in my first job in Copenhagen had since then started Zendesk. And Zendesk was really early days and it was, they had like, you know, 20 people employed and they just had a very early product out. And by that time, they felt confident that it was, they had something good going and they were eager to kind of build up a design team. So they were talking with Cuban to uh, acquire us, acquire the team. And it's kind of scary when you, you actually, we had, we had just reached our first kind of like making a million dollars in a year experience. You know, we were really <laughs> proud of ourselves and we had these amazing, you know, clients, like things I would never have imagined. And it was going well, right? And we had really happy and very, very good designers. So it's really tricky to just be all like, oh, let's get bought out by these tech dudes and take a risk or move everyone to San Francisco and all that stuff. So 
that went on for like at least eight months of negotiation and t tearing our hair out and, and and it was like you know it really pushes people into weird places and mm -hmm. in the end it all fell apart and then i just decided to to join them to join zendesk i appreciate you sharing that the way that you did it so honestly because i I think your story is it is definitely unique, but you know it's it's not all unicorns and rainbows when you're talking to what do you call them the, the teams that are trying to build these partnerships or acquisitions, and the amount of work that goes into that is not as easy as one might expect. No, it's and now I'm on the other side of it, right? When we acquire companies to to fold into Zendesk for a variety of reasons, but mostly because they built something unique and amazing that we want to be part of our sort of product ecosystem but mm -hmm. it is never easy and it's it's you know it's it's very very tricky on from a cultural perspective as well especially when you have like we have a lot of our base Sendesk is based out of san francisco but we acquired a company in montpellier in france and then a company up in montreal and then a company in singapore you know it is really, really tricky to kind of, you know, unify all these dis different cultures and teams and people. What has the, the experience of that evolution been like for you, starting from, like you said, you know, going from things kind of falling apart to then joining Zendesk to then being now part of Zendesk and looking the other side of the mirror? Like, how has that evolution been for you? So firstly, I never regretted doing it. I think that's a big... Mm -hmm thing because i maybe this is getting way too in the weeds but my wife never wanted to live in san francisco and i now had to kind of drag her from new york back to san francisco to start this job as and so it's not just the job and and leaving cuban behind and all my friends there it was also like a big change i just had a, my first um a child and we had to kind of uproot and move over so it's like big logistical nightmare mm -hmm. and so I was just happy that it wasn't a, a dud, you know, like I was incredibly lucky that Zendesk actually took off and was very successful. But I also mm -hmm. felt very lucky to have joined so early on um, because I, I, I still find it amazing how I could be part of a, a, a story of a startup from the very, very beginning all the way to going public and, you know, being a billion dollar business. Mm -hmm. But, you know, joining that company, I, I had this fantasy that it was going to be so easy because, you know, like as a, working in an agency, you just have constant pressure, constant stress and constant new things to learn and, and, and people to convince mm -hmm. and, and, and all these responsibilities for these people that are around you. And I was like, oh, no responsibilities all the time in the world just to sit and tinker <laughs> with this one thing. But like... The Zendesk blew up like insane, and and we just went from no people to now we're like many, almost five thousand people. You know, like yeah. my team went from just being me and a dude to being now we're one hundred and fifty. And I just never saw myself as a you know a, a people manager that was going to manage one hundred and fifty people. That that was never what I was good at, right? So that that has been difficult and interesting for me. But um, as as with 
like all the way, you know, tracking back all the way to Cuban Council, where I realized that I could do much better work if I work with really good people. I'm doing that now, but just on a much bigger scale. Like we have the most amazing team that can just do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our creative team is is it's not just a product design team; it's also a brand team, and it's also an interior mm-hmm. design team and an event team and creative copywriting and research and so on so we can just do all sorts of things that's what i find is very fascinating with my job at the moment i'm curious about that transition from designer as you as you said to manager being that you're uh, early in the zendesk universe and an executive leadership team and this is an assumption tell me if it's not true but I, my assumption is that you probably had the ability to help design the career ladders for the brand team and the product team and kind of have to make some of those decisions about where you are in the progression of those ladders. Is that true that that you were able to create that, or did you kind of have to find the right place to slot into? And I guess secondarily to that is, now that the team is so large, how do you ensure that you are able to focus on whatever you need or want to, and also scratching your any personal itches? Like, I, I fully realize that some people, like, move from IC to management without a an, an issue. Some people like need to find other ways to keep themselves uh, creatively challenged. But I'm just, I was hoping you maybe could just unpack that a little bit, a little bit more because I think that's fascinating. So with regards to uh, career ladders, I, um, I have a very great sort of uh, team in place uh, under me uh, that heads up. I have a, a VP of product design, VP of brand, and then a senior director of um, ops. And, I wouldn't take credit for coming up with career ladders and 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 all these systems. So we we work together on that, but that changes all the time as well. Not just because we're growing as a business, but also because the the, the landscape changes con- constantly, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. for for product design and 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 brand. Because we for our team is traditionally the brand team usually would normally sit on the marketing. So we have to make a lot of this up ourselves. Yeah, that's interesting. I still think of myself as a creative person, but it's difficult to swallow that I have nothing to show for it in the last 10 years other than my work, you know? (laughs) So, and a lot of that has, you know, I, I think a huge part of that is that I've been building a family since since then right i i have two boys and one of them is like has a heavy disability so a lot of that is so time consuming and very sort of disorienting and uprooting so i've been spending a lot of time following his treatment around the world and all this could we could follow another podcast about that whole journey but <laughs> that leaves me with very little time to you know quote unquote express myself in a creative way well uh, i, I kind of have to i have a thought there yeah. right like because Creativity is a really subjective thing. Right. I think, right? And and I think that a lot of times whenever people say like creativity, they think of a thing that you can like hold. But sometimes it's not really that. Sometimes it's it's words that you put together to, to tell someone. Sometimes it's words that you can say to inspire somebody. That's creativity. Sure. I think that you're you might not give be giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> Because uh, I think that, like, as a creative person, it's not just one thing; it's everything. I agree. I've gone from from being so proud of the fact that I could do all sorts of things, sort of medium well, 
Uh, mm-hmm. I can do a thing, you know, I could do a little CD cover. Now I can do a little, and look at this, this is actually moving. I'm animating a thing or like I made a soundtrack for this little, mm-hmm. you know, like all that mm-hmm. stuff. And now going to just expressing my creativity in, you know, in a, in a all hands meeting. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is probably, you know, like I just miss making a thing, but I, I feel yeah. you. I feel you. I have a screen printing background, and sometimes I really miss getting my hands dirty and making something. Right, and I'm I'm like just a man of a million hobbies. Like I have so such a need to dive into something and nerd around with it. So at least I feel like now I'm 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 I've decided to spend a lot of my time in San Francisco so I can work better, and then some of my time back in London. Uh, and so in between these times, I'm in, I'm in San Francisco without children. So I find that I have a little bit extra time to sort of get back into creating artifacts, if you will. So I, mm-hmm. I find more time lately to sort of, uh, to, to, to get nerdy with some stuff. Full transparency. I did a little creeping on your Instagram. Mm. It looks like you're really big into motorcycles and I, I, I dig that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So I've always been like a lame ass, you know, like I never had a driver's license. I, you know, I lived in Denmark. You never needed a driver's license. But I, at some point I was like, you know, I, I wanted to kind of become an adult, right? And I got a car license. And I was like, look at this. I can drive a car. Now, why don't I drive a motorcycle? <laughs> so I, I got a license for that. I always loved the idea of the motorcycles, but I never was into kind of, you know, being like the motorcycle guy. I just loved well crafted machinery and mm-hmm. so i got super and I, I got really deep into that stuff and then i started going on track with a you know with like a race bike and then wow. i crashed on the track and i Ooh. figured maybe i shouldn't do that anymore <laughs> because i have two young kids like what the fuck am i doing <laughs> what a stupid idea so i kind of wound that down and now i'm just like pottering around at like 20 miles an hour <laughs> in the in san francisco I've always been fascinated by yeah. motorcycles and I've never gotten to a point where I went beyond like a scooter to a motorcycle because I, something would always happen on a scooter that would just scare me. But I, but I do, I do think motorcycles are pretty, pretty rad. I, I started following like one thing that really helps, I think for me to kind of temper my need to, you know, do stupid things is that I'm following an Instagram account that just, is only concerned with all the crashes of motorcyclists in <laughs> California. And that is just every day someone dies on the street and it's like very well covered. And it just reminds you like maybe you don't need to commute on a motorcycle, for example, like it just puts everything mm. into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But you're also so exposed, you know, especially when you're learning but also maybe yeah. now when I feel like I can do this, you know, like I've done this for a few years, I feel like then that's what some bad stuff is going to happen. So <laughs> I don't know if I can even recommend it. You know, some of my people from my team started getting into motorcycles and we started riding together and I kind of feel a little responsible for Ooh, yeah. getting them in dangerous situations without really wanting to <laughs> take a lot of credit for other people's choices. In 2015, you wrote an article um, about the DNA of in-house teams and how, like, your thoughts on how that was sort of changing. Being that you've spent a significant amount of your time 
as like a freelancer, as an agency owner, and in another 10 years or, or so, like being in-house, like what is your current thoughts on that, this now? Like, and I'm also, personal question that I want to try to squeeze in is like, what do you think that people learn, pick up faster on being in-house? And what do you think people pick up faster on being in an agency? Oh, I think that's interesting. I think yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well though. I I one thing that people really quickly pick up and I I think this is this is a difference between being in an agency and in-house is well, it's not the difference. They say they're completely similar. Like as as you're in an agency, you you build these relationships with clients and customers and you you get to know them and you're really kind of trying to solve their problem and put yourself in their shoes. But the relationship is very different than the dif- in the relationship you build on the inside of a like of a tech company. And especially for us since we are kind of an autonomous group inside of Zendesk, we don't belong to product and we don't belong to the marketing team. So we have to do a lot of politicking and relationship building and really kind of uh, lubricating the gears there, you know, like spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. on a personal level with a lot of people that have wildly different backgrounds than us. So I think people that come in to these teams from a different background will quickly learn how to navigate the relationship aspect of, of building alliances and all these kind of house of cards politics that are involved. And I don't really know if I, I don't, do I enjoy it or not? I, I think I've been lucky again with the, the company that I work for has some really amazing leadership in place. And I think that trickles down from the top that people are actually kind of decent human beings, but you know, there's always a lot of friction that has to be solved. I think that's a f- huge part of, of, of having a successful team is to navigate that mm-hmm. sort of a sea of people. Mm-hmm. I, I, think I, would, I, yeah. I think I agree with that, um, yeah. you know, because I think kind of to your earlier point, like in all in-house teams are different and all agencies are different. But since agencies are more traditionally used to the, like what you described, like pitching and, and focused on getting decisions made, right? Yeah. I think what I've seen over time is that, and this might be different now, but like when I started this business, I realized that a lot of in-house teams had like really awesome talent, but they didn't know how to get uh, decisions made as smoothly. They, I would find in-house teams like automatically going to one design and then iterating on it over and over again. And they didn't know how to do like mood boarding and, and conceptual direction at, you know, like creating a funnel for that as well as like, agency uh, folks would. And I've also noticed what, you know, I, I think what you said is also really real too. Like the, in order to get the, you know, decisions made in a large organization, I, I think the, the number one skill that you have to have is, you know, being trustworthy and, and knowing how to be empathetic to your colleagues. Yeah. I, I agree with the sort of the skills. I think trying to get the right, you know, find the right people. A lot of my designers on the brand side have agency experience or agency backgrounds. So they come in and, 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 and try to build a mini agency, right? Which I think is maybe the right way to do it. I still struggle though with, with the construct of my team as, a, as an ongoing uh, identity crisis for me. 
you know, because <laughs> I find that I'm not sure, you know, I'm never sure if, if that construct of being an autonomous in-house agency inside of a company is good for the business or mm. if it's hindering mm -hmm. a fluid uh, uh, collaborative workflow that otherwise would happen if we were, you know, if we were slotted in on the product or marketing. That's interesting. But um, I, I really try to make it work. That's that's one of the things that I had prepped as a kind of a, <laughs> a talking point. But the that kind of friction um, is, is something that we're working on every day to kind of uh, harvest all the best things from being uh, from being freed from from being like just a subset of a of another organization. Yeah, I've never personally been in um, in an environment like that, so like I don't know if I fully understand. I mean, most most of my career has been in agency. I've I've only had one in in house job. You might have to unpack that a, a little bit sure. more for some context. So, like so traditionally, if you want to be a, a brand designer in a tech company, you would you would join, say, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but Twitter, and then you you would join the marketing team. You know, mm -hmm. and the marketing team would then control all the marketing and brand, and you would then answer to the chief marketing officer that would then answer to someone else. At Zendesk, uh, I'm the chief creative officer, and I answer to the CEO, but I have both brand and product design uh, sitting together uh, and, uh, right now virtually. Mm -hmm, so we mm -hmm. we can we can create the entire experience for our customers all the way from way before they become a customer and they're just visiting the website or they're seeing something on social media or they're watching a video or engaging in whatever or go to an event or visit our offices or apply for a job, you know, and then all the way in through the funnel, through the, you know, the trial and through the, you know, um, the onboarding part of the product then into the product and out of the product. You know, and it's just cool to have the video team actually sitting next to the people who are building the product, as opposed to going out and engaging a video team. Holy shit! Know. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it seems it seems really logical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great, and it and 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 I think of you know I'm using video as an example, but it goes across everything like writing and 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 sound design and event design. You know, these people work on all these projects together um and, and so they learn what it is that we're actually doing they're not just telling stories about features and functions but we can go very deep on what is it that we stand for as a company what is the story behind it and why do we exist you know everything it just makes so much more sense when we can you know do it together as a team rather than sit in some complete mm -hmm. complete different and, and, and disparate worlds yeah or have to you know uh, argue and fight between like a marketing and product word org about right. you know different decisions about like you know re redesigning a, a brand or a visual design language system it's like seem, it seems I'm, I'm sure there are things that you're wondering about that may not maybe some cons on that list but my immediate right, right. reaction to that is like wow like it seems like that kind of environment like gives everyone on that team, no matter what their specialty or general skill set is, the ability to be a part of the entire experience design. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would ask from that, what have been some of the most surprising things that have come out of the approach and what have been some of the challenges that have come out of that approach? Well, some of the things I'm most proud of is 
maybe surprisingly proud um, is that when it all actually comes together, so this is pre-COVID, right? So we did a lot of events and there was a bit mm -hmm. crap, you know, mm -hmm. like it was just kind of a bit homemade. But as the team grew and I got some really good people in place, we could start to make sense of it from a much, you know, zoomed out perspective. Like the events were actually completely tied in with the with the campaigns that we were running and so the mm -hmm. events were designed by the same people who also designed our office spaces so our office spaces looked and felt like the events so when mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. everything's like then we started to have like no we need this kind of uh, uh, super cool lounge for our customers to come visit zendesk and get all super excited and sign the deal You know, and those mm -hmm. spaces were like the extra super nice versions of our office spaces, but everything was just completely on brand. And it was tied in with how we spoke and how the product worked and how we spoke about the product and how we show how the products work and blah, 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 mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. when it all mm -hmm. comes together, it's magical. Um, so now we are in a situation where we want to not be defined by our office spaces anymore and we are not doing actual you know in-person events so a lot of that magic is fizzling away but you know that is why i think it makes sense to have these teams together um but whether like there's so much um you know we're constantly a different company you know like every year we're a totally different company and there's different mm -hmm. people coming in and out and they set up their teams in specific ways or reorg or the product completely changes from from one year to the next because we need to follow a different you know strategy or whatever and in between all this we sit as a team trying to make sense of that with a lot of different stakeholders and so that's a lot of friction there like because a lot of people would probably feel that they could do their job a lot better if they owned the product design org for example in product mm -hmm. you know and i have to kind of make sense of it but also kind of prove that it has value that they sit outside of that and that's not always easy sometimes i do wonder maybe it would be a lot easier for everyone if if the product design org would sit in product because then they would just be part of 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 the machine But in the perfect world, we would have a lot more power in the product design team and be able to kind of put up a vision for what we want to achieve with the product from the design perspective and, and sort of pitch that vision and, and drive it. And that's that, those are some of the things I'm working on right now. That's kind of the next level for me is to to lead the, the, the product vision much more than we've done until now. Well, also because we as a company have been very in hyper growth mode. So it's just about putting together a lot of stuff to sell to people. And I think now we are switching around to just making great experiences for our customers. And that creates, you know, that, that requires a whole other skill set and a whole other team makeup. Toka, I'm, I'm curious, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now as, uh, as a design leader the big, or the biggest project that you're thinking about as a 2021 focus? So the pandemic brought about lots of changes, I guess, for everyone. But for Zendesk, um, the massive change that we have been going through is that we are realizing that we need to stop spewing out things to sell new features new stuff new crap the more stuff we're trying to sell the more complicated it gets to buy and the more complicated it gets to 
to tie together with the other things we're trying to sell and everything is confusing you know do you know what you're buying do you know what what it costs it it, it is it has just become really unwieldy and so the pandemic has kind of forced us to uh to rethink how we do things like now people either in deep crisis mode and, and struggling with their businesses or they're in overdrive because they are all of a sudden uh, of like tripling their business and having a lot more customers and also therefore is dealing with a lot more customer service demand. That means that these people just need, you know, they need to be able to sign up for our stuff and they need to be able to use our products. They need to understand what it costs. They need to just have a much simpler experience with what we are building. So we stopped producing a ton of stuff and instead uh, we are focusing on the actual experience and the actual products that we are doing, the holistic experience across all our products, how people try it and get to know us, how they speak to us. Um, so it's all about simplicity and simplifying everything that has to do with Zendesk, every single touch point to make it like a fluid, easy, nice Zen experience. And that requires a lot of change. And also for our team, our team has very much been in the mode of just producing a lot of things. And now we have to kind of switch into the mode of actually focus on the quality of the product that we have been building and leading with a vision and taking care of of our customers and they they building a much better and more pleasant um, customer experience and that requires a completely different team so that's very much top of mind for me toka i, I really appreciate you um rescheduling this after this crazy year that we had and right. taking time to share all of this thoughts with us i feel like we've only scratched the surface like there's so many of the things that we that we want to talk about in terms of you know how you know how design leaders are taking care of themselves in this time and right you know I'm also uh, really curious I mean it seems like the whole topic about the way you've designed your team to do this is a whole other uh, topic in itself and um, perhaps if you would be interested in doing a part two to this we could go a step beyond and, and dig in deeper to this stuff sure. um, we'd love to have you back if you're yeah. if you're willing to do it. Um, we totally. want to be mindful of your time, so we'll uh, we'll let you get back to your your busy day. But why don't you um, let people know how they can follow what uh, you're doing as an individual or what uh, what your team at Zendesk is doing? You know, I have my my usual Instagram feed or whatever. Perfect. We have a Zendesk uh, Instagram feed, and we have the Zendesk Creative Instagram feed. We also have our um, design system up for public perusal. Um, I don't know where you can, you know how 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 you normally do this with like. Uh, oh, that's perfect. It's 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 probably a lot of characters to rattle out, but we'll we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll get all the links and we'll post them on this uh, sure. this yeah. page when it launches. Yeah, and we're hiring, always hiring. Well, Thank I mean, awesome. sounds like you have an awesome team. Sounds like you know, uh, there's a lot of opportunities for someone to have a really special and zen experience. So, <laughs> thank you. Um, we uh, wish you the best of luck in the first part of this year, and uh, let's circle back and let's see if we could do a part two to this. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure's ours. All right. See you later, Toka. Thank you. Bye bye. Hustle is brought to you by Fun Size, a digital service and product design agency 
that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at funsize.co. I'm Danielle, a product designer at Funsize. Fun size, Ichiban!